It's my pleasure to welcome you to the first episode of PA Pod. I'm James Newman, your host, a PT turned PA student. I'm really excited to go on this journey with all of you. It's been one of my goals to start a podcast and really talk about something that I have passion for, which in this sense means that I'm going to interview other people who have passion so that we can get their stories and know what drives them so maybe we can find uh, some answers within ourselves or maybe you can just get some questions to some hard situations. In this episode, a good friend of mine, Jack, is going to be interviewed. He's on with us today. I went to grad school with Jack while he was in the PA program, I was in the PT program. And Jack's on today to tell us a little bit about what being a new grad is like. And he's gonna share some of his experiences along the way. Hey James, thanks for having me, man. So yeah, my name's Jack Tillman. I am a, I would, it's hard to say that I'm not a new grad anymore. I've been practicing for about a year now. Um, I completed a postgraduate emergency medicine fellowship and am now currently working in an ICU setting as a critical care PA. Nice, nice. Well, we're going to, we're going to say new grad extends a little bit, kind of how, you know, you're still in your mid twenties when you hit 25, 26, we're going to, we're going to give exactly. you a discussion. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, man, uh, dude, we're super excited to have you. So, uh, we're just going to dive in. Um, so man, first question from our point of view. So I'd like you to take a second, kind of reflect on when you started school and compare that to where you are now. Do you feel like you stayed on a direct path to where you thought you'd end up? That's a good question. I, I would say as you go through PA school, your interests change and where you can see yourself down the line changes. Now, I, I didn't know about postgraduate fellowships or residencies, the term is kind of interchangeable. You'll hear internship, you'll hear residency, you'll hear fellowship. They all basically mean the same thing. Now, I didn't really know about that when I first started PA school, but as soon as I did, I looked further into it and kind of made sure early on that this was something that I wanted to do and commit time to because for, for a variety of reasons, I would say because of the popularity of the PA profession and because we're, we're trained as generalists, I think the opportunity to go into a higher acuity care field like emergency medicine or critical care medicine, um, the learning curve is so steep. So any additional um, dedicated experience you can have into the higher acuity side of things, really just focusing on that patient population is um, really just can't be, can't be understated. So, or can't be overstated rather. So I didn't think that I was going to be doing that because I didn't know what it was. But as soon as I found out what a fellowship was, that's something that um, I kind of went full bore on. So I would say definitely not where I thought I was going to end up now. Yeah, I mean, where you commit your time to and how you slice that pie up, it's, uh, it's really important as you're going through. I imagine you had a lot of experience when you were out on rotations. Did one of those kind of direct you in the path of emergency medicine? Yeah, I mean, I think you you get great experience. You get exposed to a variety of different things out on rotation, and specifically my emergency medicine rotations. It all comes down to your relationship with your preceptor and your relationship with the other providers and nurses that are on your rotations. I just had such a good experience on my emergency medicine rotations. I actually, ended up going back to that emergency medicine rotation for an elective. Um, just the variety of things that you see, you, know, you never know what's going to come in th through the door. Every day is different. The challenge is always there. There's always something that you're, you're learning day in and day out. Um, it, it, was, it was definitely that rotation that opened my eyes to emergency medicine and then coming back to it and really getting in the feel of it because I didn't have any 
uh, any emergency medicine experience prior to PA school. You know, there's a lot of people who have really good experiences, EMS or paramedic. And there's, um, so going into that kind of a little, uh, a little green was, was a really great resource and definitely made me want to do emergency medicine or just acute care, critical care medicine in general. Yeah, man, dude, that's awesome. Um, I know you said you did your fellowship up in New York and you went to school down here in South Carolina. So how do you feel about the importance of expanding your depth and breadth and going to different regions of the country to practice? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, scope of practice varies by state. And I think um, you really don't you really don't understand that. You learn about it in PA school and you learn kind of which schools, at least we, we had a good um, experience in class where we kind of learned about scope of practice laws and which states had kind of reputations for being a little bit more um, giving you a little bit more freedom and a little bit more length on the leash, but actually going and practicing in two different states. Now I can say that the, the scope of practice is different, definitely by state. And even so by institution, um, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement in that regard from a PA profession standpoint. But I think there's also great opportunity for PAs to get involved and advocate for the PA profession from that standpoint too, because we, a lot of times, PAs can be limited in their scope because, you know, the institution, you know, the attending physicians, they might not have a lot of experience dealing with PAs. They're not familiar with how we're trained or as you said, the depth and breadth to which we're trained, especially after, you know, um, taking on additional training after graduation in a, in a fellowship. Um, definitely a role that can be filled by a PA, just advocating for PAs in general. It doesn't have to be from a legislative standpoint. It can start, just with your own institution. Um, I think it's a great place to start. Yeah, man. I mean, that's, that's so important. The challenges of being a professional don't stop inside of the, uh, the hospital or office that you're working. You, know, you really have to go out there and speak for what you're working for and fight for the right to practice to the height of your education. Absolutely, man. Everyone wants to practice at the top of their license. So I think any chance we can get to advocate for that and within, you know, within the bounds that you're comfortable with, obviously. So um, it's important for everyone in the PA profession to do, man. Yeah. What were, uh, what were some of the resources you used as you were trying to discover what was up with the, uh, the PA practice act as you were going between States? <clears throat> um, off the top of my head. I mean, there's definitely every state um, PAs associations, you know, um, SCAPA for, you know, South Carolina's Association of Physician Assistants is a great resource. And just the AAPA in general, I would say those are the two, those are the two big um, areas where they do a really good job of delving into um, different laws and different, you know, how many PAs can be, you know, one supervising physician have at a time? What's the distance that PAs can practice away from their supervising physician? How many, what percentage of your charts need to be co-signed by your attending? Things like that. Um, but I would definitely start with your um, state and the national PA organization. That's a good bit of information. I'm sure some people listening will use that in the near future. Um, so man, as far as your transition from the classroom and books to real life, seeing people, you know, what was the toughest part of that? Man, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that's just the hardest part in and of itself is starting to go from test questions to patients and, you know, it, it's nice when you have, you know, A, B, C, D, and E, but patients rarely, if ever, present with textbook signs and symptoms. So it's, 
it's definitely a challenge. I think you have to make a conscious effort while you're in school because I'll be honest, I was definitely guilty throughout PA school of just kind of getting through the information, learning and regurgitating just to pass the test, especially in areas that didn't grab my interest as much as others. But when you get out into the real world, it's, it can be daunting when you have patients coming in and you know, you're not sure what's going on with them. That's a completely normal thing that happens you know, day in and day out. And I think the way you do that is you just have to dedicate yourself while you're in school to, you know, not thinking of this as just the next test or, you know, just the next, you know, it's not just boards. This is something that um, I've committed myself to a lifetime of learning and uh, my patients are going to be better served if I can learn and utilize this information in a more meaningful way that I can actually draw upon in the real world. That's so true, man. I bet you uh, there's a large percentage of PA students who would say the same thing, that they learned how to really put it in the brain, regurgitate it, and move on. As I'm looking at my schedule coming up, because I start PA school soon, uh, I was taken aback a little bit by there being several tests within the third week of starting school. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah man. <laughs> it's drinking out of a fire hose, for sure. You'll hear that thing. You'll hear that phrase time and time again. I think it's pretty appropriate, but, man, it's worth it in the end. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. I mean, obviously you have a huge passion for it and it sounds like you've really enjoyed delving into sharpening your skills and really expanding your toolbox to be the best practitioner you can possibly be. Um, so I guess to that regard, you know, in your setting, you talked about how it's perfectly understandable to kind of not know what's going on there for a little bit, but what were some of the biggest obstacles you faced during your first year, especially in this fellowship program? Uh, I, and again, I don't want to keep harping on fellowship because it's not something that, you know, I think the most recent numbers I looked at are something like, you know, 5% or sometimes that number is even smaller of new grad PAs uh, choose to go through a fellowship program. But I think the, fel the challenges I had as a new grad PA in a fellowship program are not too dissimilar from new grad PAs in any profession. It's learning to build your confidence. It's learning to see patients get comfortable routinely doing a physical exam, get comfortable with the ins and outs of your, of your day to day. Like, you know, what is your, what does your neuro exam look like for every patient? How do you work up abdominal pain um, in these patients? What, what are things that you're looking for? You know, from a documentation standpoint, now your notes, you know, you're the, you're the one writing the notes, you know, you don't have the, your preceptor looking over your shoulder, um, you know, when you're writing in their, in their little MDM and they're double checking everything that you write, you know, this is now um, on your, you know, this is on your license, you're, pro, you're practicing by yourself. So this, this all falls back on you. I would say confidence is probably the biggest obstacle because everything is just so new. There's so much to learn in any new job, you know, you, you books and, and tests can prepare you so much, but when you have those patients that walk in the door and, you know, they have a constellation of symptoms going on that nothing really seems to add up. And it just, that feeling of, man, I'm not really sure of what to do at this point. That's a scary feeling, but um, I think it's important through your first year to feel, I use the phrase comfortably uncomfortable in order to keep challenging yourself, to keep improving, to keep expanding your knowledge base and, and, you know, exposing yourself to as many things as you can. So the next time you see something that's like that, you have a frame of reference to go off of. But confidence as a new grad um, is probably, I would say, the number one obstacle because you just feel like there's so many things you don't know and you don't know what you don't know. And that's okay. And dealing with that and being okay with that, you know, confidence, it comes with experience, just like anything. That's it, man. None of us know what we don't know yet, but I'm sure we're all itching to learn. 
uh, you use that, that stress term there. I mean, there's bad stress and there's good stress that you stress that pushes you to practice to the height of where you need to be and work hard so that you're not falling behind your peers. But also in our line of work, it's just making sure you can take care of those people who are walking in and need your help. Absolutely, man. Um, so I guess kind of moving on from that point, dude, that's awesome. That's a lot of trials, a lot of obstacles you had to face there. I mean, building your own confidence and becoming the practitioner you are today can have been easy. Uh, as far as that's concerned, though, what were some of the resources you used to get where you are today? Did you read some, I guess, some motivational books to help with your confidence? Were there medical books you were inclined to do? Or were you more of the type that, you know, stacked it really hard and then got away from it for a couple of days? Yeah, I think... The most important thing that I can say to anyone coming out, especially when you have questions about, you know, patients that you saw, things that you saw that day, the best, I mean, it's, as far as specific resources, um, I go back to text. I'm, I'm a hardcover guy. I like having the book in my hand. I like being able to write and being able to highlight. So that works well for me. Up to date is a great resource. Um, just the fact that, you know, my institution provided update to us. Um, it, you know, gives you evidence-based medicine on a variety of topics. You can look up just about anything you want to on up to date. It's been a huge resource and clinicians all over the world will tell you the same. Um, but the biggest thing I can say is anything you have questions on that you see during the day, dedicate, an hour or so at the end of your day, you're going to be beat up. You're going to be tired from a long shift, but just try and learn one thing. If there's, you know, if you had a patient in heart failure and you weren't sure of, you know, what all you included in your differential, what all your diagnostics should look like, you know, what your physical exam findings should look like. Um, I think that's just, if you can make sure to make the effort to dedicate yourself to reading up on, you know, just that one thing, just heart failure, learn one thing about that, and do that for every time you have questions and it's going to be every night for a long time after your shifts, but bit by bit, you're going to get better and better, but up to date was a huge resource. I go back to, I feel like every field in medicine has a Bible, you know, every, every field has a textbook that is um, renowned the world over. So in, in emergency medicine, you'll hear Tintinales and you'll hear Rosen's. Those are your two, your two Bibles of emergency medicine. And I, I like reading, I, you know, in a weird way, I kind of like reading, like even the, even the books I read in my free time, um, I read, you know, medical doctors that are authors and have written books in their spare time. That's what I like to read. Cause I just like to immerse myself in the, in the lifestyle of medicine, but definitely go back to Tintinales and to Rosen's for references and um, to make sure there's not anything that I could have done better that day. Um, I would say whatever field that you're interested in, find the Bible of that, buy it before you leave school and brush up on it because people will be impressed if you can show that you've committed yourself to that field a little bit. Like, Hey, I own Tintinales. I have the whole thing, you know, and I've read this many pages of it, whatever it might be. Um, those are my resources that I use. A lot of people, I'm not much of an audio learner. Um, I love listening to podcasts, but as far as learning from podcasts, a little bit challenging for me, but podcasts are great. There's so many medical podcasts that are fantastic as well. You know, it's funny you say that because ironically, I'm here hosting a podcast, but I was doing <laughs> a podcast for the longest time for the same reason. That's why uh, when, when I had this vision to start this, I really wanted it to be more of a one-on-one -on -one and somebody coming on and talking about how they are as a clinician or how they're impacting the field. And I think you're doing a great job of that so far. Uh, you know, I think what I'm going to do right now when I go on rotations is I'm going to pull out a small little notebook and at the top of each one of the pages, I'm just going to write, learn one thing a day. One thing, every man. time I flip the page, every time I get off work, I'm just going to remember what Jack said. <laughs> well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang your hat on that advice, <laughs> but it'll serve you well. 
No, it's definitely, it's a solid piece of advice, man. And that, that applies to so many different fields and so many different ways of study. If you develop those habits early on in your career and you commit yourself to just improving a little by little, you, you can't help but gain that confidence. Absolutely, man. Make it part of your routine and then it'll just feel like brushing your teeth. That's it. Hopefully everybody listening brushes their teeth. <laughs> not, give me a call. We'll talk. Um, so, man, what, what do you feel like your strengths are as a new grad? Um, I would say, I mean, personally, um, I like connecting with people, um, people person. I worked in sales for a long time. Um, you know, I worked in medical device sales for a number of years before going back to PA school. So, um, just interacting with people. And I think it's kind of a, maybe an understated strength, but I, I remember when I was in PA school and my mom is, you know, the classic, you know, wants to know everything. She was a helicopter parent growing up and I'm, you know, I'm proud to say I'm a, I'm a mama's boy from that regard. But <laughs> I remember learning that, you know, or when I was learning, I tried because my mom would ask me so many, you know, what'd you learn today? This even into PA school, man, even to graduate school, you can't get away from that. And she's so fascinated by the medical field. She's not medical at all. She's a number cruncher. But when I, when, you know, when she calls me, even now, ask me about my day. I remember learning in PA school. I need to learn this information well enough that I can teach it to my mom and explain it to her in layman's terms so that she'll understand it you know it's it's i think that's a skill that's acquired and it's a skill that um needs to be practiced in order to get down but i would say the the strength of explaining to patients medical terminology medical physiology because you learn so much jargon going through school um you know it's easier to say you have a you know myocardial infarction of your left anterior descending you know and it's but you know it's so much harder to put that in words that the patient will understand, especially if they have no medical background. So learning something the way you can, that was another thing that was one of my mantras going through school is I need to learn this well enough that I can explain it to my mom and all the questions that she, that I know she's going to have about whatever disease process you're learning about, um, whatever procedure you might be doing, you know, how do you explain to someone, okay, I'm about to put a central line in, you know, they don't know what that means. So, you know, so you start by saying the basic, it's a catheter, you know, that is inserted in one of the large veins in your neck and your groin. Um, and you go from there. I think it's, you really have to work hard at explaining things so that um, people can understand it in simple terms. I mean, honestly, coming from a physical therapy background, I, I can't emphasize everything you just said enough. I mean, you right. and us, you know, anybody going into the PA profession, you're going to be a little bit of a cushion for you know, a physician or a team that maybe doesn't have those explanation skills. And I think it falls on our shoulders to be, to be that voice of reason and that voice of explanation that makes people feel comfortable in our care. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, man, kudos to you. That's an excellent strength to have. So I got to flip it though. So what do you feel like your weaknesses are? Oh man, I think, and you know, it goes back to, to confidence and obviously having the having the fellowship under my belt has helped my confidence greatly. Um, the weaknesses in medicine, man, they're, they can, they can come in so many different ways. I think that, you know, confidence, when you're working so hard to attain that confidence and feel comfortable in what you're doing, uh, it, it can almost work in the opposite where you feel, you know, you've seen, you know, working in the emergency department, we see abdominal pain every single day. Every other patient has belly pain. So you can get into a false sense of security there. Um, you can have a little bit of anchoring bias, like, oh, this is just diverticulitis. I'll write them antibiotics and they'll go home. Um, and there's a lot of times where 
I would say once you do get to that point where you feel confident and you feel like you can work things up, that's when you can get lulled into a false sense of security where you can say, oh, this is just this, this is just that. And you limit your differential and you forget to include a lot of things that you learned in PA school. You know, the rare little zebras that you might not see, you know, the carotid dissection, whatever it might be, the, the one in a hundred thing, one in a thousand thing that you don't have on your differential. It's going to be that case. The one that you're sure is just, I'll tell you what, I had a patient that presented that I was 100% sure was reflux. He had all the signs and symptoms of reflux. He had no medical history, young, healthy guy or younger, healthy guy in his 50s. Sure enough, guy was having a STEMI. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Look at his EKG lead and just a classic, he was having a heart attack and I thought it was reflux. Um, but you get, you get the EKG, you get the troponin levels and you, you kind of have to go through your system so that you don't miss things like that. So I would say that's one of my biggest weaknesses and things that I still try and um, work on day in and day out is always expand your differential, always be aware of the things that, you know, while it could be this, while it most likely is what I think it is, because I've seen this before and I've worked up the confidence to address this, what else could it be? You know, what else presents like this? How, what else do I need to be concerned about in this patient specifically? So true, man. I mean, that, that, uh, it's funny hearing that from you, knowing you from school and then knowing you in, in life. I know you're a very structured individual, so I can see you kind of going through all these steps in your head and knowing you, even though you might have crossed it off as everything else, you just do it because you formed a good habit. You know your routine, but you know how to vary in your routine to attack your differentials. And I feel like that's <laughs> you a great PA. I try to be structured, man, but it's all a big charade. Under, <laughs> underneath <laughs> it all, I have no idea. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. I appreciate no. that though, man. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you deserve it. Um, but uh, let's move along here. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, you've talked a little bit about your weaknesses, your strengths. You've talked a little bit about how your mind works as you're walking through patients. And you've really given us a good insight to your work and how you've become the practitioner you are. But I got to ask, with everything that's going on and going through all that school and having all this knowledge from to you, like, how are you maintaining a good work-life balance right now? God, such an important thing, man, uh, especially with everything that's going on in the world right now. God, COVID has just ravaged the country. And, you know, I feel like unprecedented is just the word of the year. We so many different things going on. But even in PA school, when I was fortunate enough that that wasn't an issue when I was in school, so we were able to get through all of that, you know, unscathed relatively but um so important to know what your what your outlets are what your stress relief outlets are how you can take time for yourself because you can you know you can throw yourself at the books day in and day out but you know pa school is a grind and it's a continuous it's a continuous marathon you got to have ways and days where you where you say i'm not going to hit the books today i'm not going to do this i'm going to take time for myself whether that's exercise and you know, uh, me just going to the gym and trying to be like James, trying to lift as much weight as James does. But uh, whether it's exercise, whether it's reading something non-medical, whether it's listening to music, whether it's getting out outside and exploring, whatever your outlet is, man, it's so important um, to have that headspace where you can kind of leave school at school, leave work at work, distance yourself from it for even, even you know, an hour even that amount of time is what's going to help you keep your sanity moving forward. I can't stress that enough. And this is why everybody who tells me, everybody I talk to who's in the process of going to PA school and, you know, I have questions about applying and people that I've written letters of rec for, they all say, I got into PA school. What should I study? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> you will do so much studying during school 
you need to study absolutely nothing right now. Do not worry about getting a jump start on it. Trust me, your, your headspace will be so much more benefited by you taking time for yourself in this time before school. I mean, honestly, that, that speaks to my soul right now. I'm just so excited Good. to hear that because I'm going to, when we get off, I'm going to pop a, pop a bottle of beer, sit on the couch and play with my dog for a little bit instead of worrying about what I'm going to be studying in a month from now. Please, please do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but man, we got, you know, probably five, six, seven minutes left here. I do want to ask you, not really a question, but you, you made a good statement before we got on this chat about how your company in New York handled the pandemic. And I really want you to voice a little bit of that again, because I think it's going to inspire some hope as new grads are coming out, as people are going into hospital systems and private practices a little bit scared of where their job security is. Yeah. And I think hopefully that, you know, by the time that the listeners here, hopefully if you're a PA student, if you're a new grad PA, we are on the, the downswing of this with the vaccine just around the corner, something we can hopefully get a uh, our arms around here shortly. But um, personally, during my, my experience, when the pandemic first started, I was in Albany, New York, working in the emergency department as part of my emergency medicine fellowship. And our leadership staff um, was actually recognized nationally, our hospital CEO, who was a new CEO, new hospital CEO, he just took the job, I think, um, I think he just started February one, I think was his first day as CEO. And he's, he's one of our attending physicians in the emergency department still picks up shifts in the ED or still picked up shifts. I don't work at all anymore, but man, a fantastic guy. And he just did a great job preparing us. You know, there wasn't any, you know, Oh, this is nothing. This was, we had PPE from day one. Um, you know, and as you know, shortages across the country that we couldn't control, you know, happened, you know, we, we adapted and we made changes, but I will say that, um, I would say that the vast, vast majority of full-time staff not have their hours cut. We did have to let some per diem shifts go. And I think there were some full-time people that um, had some, there were some concerns about their personal safety with some, you know, personal medical conditions that they might've had. So they elected to take um, smaller roles, but we did, I mean, uh, my you know, our, we had five PA fellows in our program. Our hours were not cut. Our wages were not cut um, from a leadership standpoint. Our C-suite, I think they took like a 40% cut across the board. Um, we had just an incredible response to the face of adversity in this just, again, unprecedented field where no one had any experience and we were all just grasping at straws. And these are people, you know, these experience, they went through SARS, they went through Ebola, and they still, they said this was, this is absolutely, there was nothing like this in, in the history of medicine, of, in the history of modern medicine. Um, so just the, the response to that, I think that, um, you know, it's important. I think an important note to ask future employers is how did you guys respond to the COVID-19 pandemic? What was your response as an organization, as an institution? Um, did you, did you lose, did you have to cut staff? Did you have to cut hours? Did you have to cut wages? What was your response and how did your, um, how did your employees, you know, you know, fare as a result of that? I think that's an important question to ask moving forward. Oh, a hundred percent, man. I mean, if the company didn't value their staff, then there's no guarantee they're going to value you now. So absolutely. I mean, that, absolutely. But I mean, I, I was just super thrilled to hear your hospital system handled it the way they did. And uh, I was happy to hear you were in a good spot at that time. Yeah, man, it was great. So, man, I, we're kind of running out of time here. And uh, first of all, I want to thank you for just everything you put out there for us. 
That was a lot of really good information. I loved hearing your personal story throughout going through school, stepping into your first year, talking to us about your weaknesses, opening up to us, and then kind of encouraging everybody to work on those strengths that are all around the board, whether it be practicing, whether it be listening, or whether it be teaching. Um, mm-hmm. They're all invaluable pieces of being a full practitioner. Of course. Um, but man, just before, before I let you go, if you could, I'd like you to pick one to two pearls of wisdom to bestow upon PA students and new grads. Oh man. Well, I, I mean, I think, I feel like I, I kind of hit them, hit my little pieces of what, what small shreds of wisdom I do have to share. Um, I would say for PA students, especially, you know, take my example of learn it. Like you have to teach it to your mom. Mom's going to ask a hundred annoying, unnecessary questions that almost have nothing to do with whatever you're learning. Um, but if you can answer that, if you can appease all the mom questions, trust me, you will be great at explaining complex medical physiology and terminology to patients. That would be my, my pearl for students um, to, to continue to try and work on Um, explaining things in layman's terms and getting down to patients levels and connecting with them in that way. And for new grads, just get through it. It's going to be tough when you first start out, find yourself a good support staff. Hopefully you have several job offers getting out and you can, you can work with the ones that um, you feel like you, you work well with and you, you vibe with better than others. I mean, it's your, your work staff is your, your colleagues are so important the staff that you work with, the people you surround yourself with are so important, especially um, you're going to learn so much from them starting out, the people you surround yourself with, um, the nurses, the doctors, the other PAs and NPs, they're all fantastic resources. Just make sure you can find yourself a comfortable learning environment for you to learn and grow as a practitioner and learn to develop your skills. And again, continue to, after your shift, learn one thing a day. If you can do that, if you can learn one thing, get better one thing at a time, just imagine where you'll be a year, two years from now. Make it part of your routine, and you will be leaps and bounds ahead of where you would have been otherwise, and you'll be amazed at the progress. Couldn't have said it better myself. And also, brush your teeth. Brush your teeth. That's step <laughs> one, man. <laughs> no, seriously, Jack, thank you. And to all our listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, please remember to join us in two more weeks when our next episode comes out. And until then, this is James Newman and Jack Tillman signing off with PA Pod. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for having me, James. Of course, man.